Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome, everybody, to the Crime Investigation Podcast. My name is Martin Hines, and welcome to another show of crime-based conversation. This episode, we are focusing on crime and crime literature. But on TV, on Crime Investigation TV, there's a lot coming up in the next couple of months. In September, The Jow and Homicide Hunter are both returning to our screen. While a little bit later in the autumn, Robbie Coltrane's critical evidence will appear on Crime Investigation. Yeah, you heard it. Robbie Coltrane on CI. Part of the unique appeal of CI programme is that we have so many different experts who appear on our shows. They can be forensic psychologists, detectives, all sorts of different people. But one group of people who appear that a lot of people love and enjoy are authors or academics. And that's why we've decided to focus this edition on literature, on authors, on editors, on all sorts of people who create content for us to enjoy. So in the spirit of talking all things crime, all things literature, we asked our social media audience which crime books they really, really love. Now, it doesn't matter whether it's fiction, non-fiction. We wanted to know just what books really encapsulated the true meaning of crime to them. So our Twitter fans, at CI, our Facebook fans, at CIUK, they responded in droves and gave us some really really interesting suggestions Anne Oka suggested a book by Richard Maley yes the Richard Maley called The Night Book and she described it as a surprisingly good read high recommendation there Julie B recommended Forensics The Anatomy of Crime by Val McDermott and Val is obviously a huge name in the world of crime and crime fiction Trudy Martin who's an excellent CI superfan suggested Detective Jack Daniels by Crouch and Conrath, which she described as very funny, but also serious at the same time. Many more suggestions poured in. Maria is a huge fan of the author Anne Rule, as is Nicola Hendry, who suggested Small Sacrifices by Anne Rule, which is a very, very good book. Martina Cole, a legend in the game, and she was highly touted by both Kiki's Household, a big Sky Super fan, and Nikki on Twitter. While Sean Charlton is a huge fan of Ellie Griffiths' novels, and Ellie writes a lot of really interesting and creative crime content as well. But again, the suggestions just kept pouring in. At AmyJoe007 sent us a picture, a very severe picture, of Talking With Serial Killers by Christopher Berry D. While Celtic Mick underscore seven was equally infused by Injustice, Life and Death in the Courtrooms of America by Clive Stafford Smith. Clearly, having a double-barreled surname is a key to writing good books on crime. If those want enough choices, Stella on Facebook recommended anything by Mark Billingham or Kathy Rikes, and our loyal fan Sabrina Lee on Facebook suggested reading anything by M. William Phelps. Now, all of those are excellent choices, but we were very, very lucky to be joined on this month's podcast by Claire McIntosh, the current Crime Novel of the Year winner. And you can hear our chat with Claire after this very short break. We are back on the Crime Investigation Podcast with Claire McIntosh. Claire, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. 
for any crime fiction fans who've been living under a rock for the last year or so, can you just talk, tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I'm a psychological thriller writer. My debut novel, I Let You Go, has been out now for about 18 months. Uh, it was a Richard and Judy book club pick last year and a Sunday Times time bestseller for 12 weeks. It's been very, very successful. But what a lot of people don't know, maybe, is that you started your life as a police officer. When did you join the police force and how long did you work in that area for? I did 12 years in the police force in Thames Valley in the UK. Um, I, I spent most of my service in Oxford, uh, in Oxfordshire, uh, and I did various things. I was a detective on CID for a time. I worked in um, custody. I got promoted. I was a town sergeant uh, in a place called Chipping Norton, and then finally I was promoted to inspector and I became an operations inspector and a public order commander. Was there one particular area of police work that you enjoyed the most? Yeah, I think public order. I um, I used to, so that was what I did in the last couple of years of my career. Um, and, and most of that was dealing with things like football events, uh, large scale demonstrations, animal rights protests, uh, any gathering where there were lots of people either um, peaceful or otherwise, needs to be sort of uh, managed by the organisers in conjunction with the local authority and, and the police. And sometimes it would pass off uh, peacefully and sometimes there'd be uh, a little bit of argy-bargy and I quite liked both times. <laughs> what did you like about the argy-bargy? Was it the excitement of kind of being in, in a real environment? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's a great adrenaline rush and um, as you get... Uh, as you get promoted in the police, you move away from the, uh, the the blues and twos adrenaline rush. So that you know the, the buzz of being in a, a police car um, with sirens and, and lights going. Uh, and so public order is one of the the few areas where you're really at the sharp end of, of policing, and you've got to make some really fast time decisions. And I really liked that. It, it was a, a challenging job, but a really satisfying one. Twelve years on the job promotion after promotion, yet in 2011 you decided to leave the police force to begin work as a journalist, work in social media. Why that transition? Why the change? Because I was um, being a very bad mother at that time. Um, my priorities were a bit skewed and um, I didn't feel able to combine the sort of career that I was having, uh, which included very long hours and um, uh, work towards the next rank, with being a mother to my children, who were very young at the time, I'd had uh, two sets of twins in 15 months. Um, I'd lost one of my little boys. And so I was back at work full time. I had um, a two-year-old at home and one-year-old twins, my second set of twins. And I, I never saw them. And, and that was wrong for me. So I took a career break um, and I needed to earn money while I was on this career break. And the only thing I knew how to do, apart from police, was writing. Did you have a background in writing before you joined the police force? Or was it something you've just always been interested in throughout your life? No, no, no background, no formal training. Um, I've always loved to write and I wanted when I was much younger to, to write a book. I wanted to be a journalist actually when I was at school, but was sort of persuaded out of it by the careers teacher. Um, and, um, and so I sort of put it on the back burner and then 
after I had children, I started blogging. I, I started a blog called More Than Just a Mother, and uh, it, it fairly quickly gained a, a big following. And it was the first time that I'd ever had an objective audience for my writing. You know, it's very different when your mum or your teacher tells you that you've done a good job. You know, they're, they're kind of, it's their job to be encouraging. But when a, a stranger on the other side of the world emails you to say that what you wrote really resonated with them, then it really brings home the power of words. And it was a, a real sort of confidence boost, I suppose. And, and the first time I'd really considered that I could write something that other people wanted to read. Only a couple of years after this career change, you wrote I Let You Go, your, your debut novel, and obviously the success has been astounding. Over 500,000 copies sold, bestsellers all over the world. Can you just tell people who haven't read the book yet a brief synopsis, please? So I Let You Go was inspired by a real-life case that happened in Oxford um, just after I, I joined the police. It was being dealt with by the CID. I wasn't investigating it myself, although all of us, I think, had had small inquiries that related to it. And it involved a child who was killed in a hit and run, and the driver was never caught. And it just, um, it, it really affected me. I, I couldn't understand how anybody could drive away from that sort of incident, knowing that they'd killed a child. And I couldn't understand how a mother could ever survive losing her child like that um and so it, it sort of stayed with me and then years later when i lost my own son i realized that of course you do survive things like that but that they change you and however you're involved in such a traumatic incident it uh, it affects you as a person and so that was what i wanted to explore in i let you go so so the book follows the story of the detectives, Ray and Kate, who are investigating the hit and run, trying to track down the driver. And it follows Jenna, who is um, grieving for her her child. She's uh, traumatised by this, this ghastly event that's happened. And she runs to a village in rural Wales and tries to put her past behind her and, and rebuild her life. Uh, but as often happens in uh, life and always happens in fiction, uh, certainly in crime fiction, her past catches up with her uh, with uh, fairly devastating results. One thing a lot of people have commented on and personally have read it, it's really interesting the emotional aspects of the book as well as the psychological you know, thriller nature. There's a real emotional pathos in it, which is which is very profound. How important is that to you as a writer to, to put emotion into your work? Because obviously a lot of crime thrillers, they tend to be very frenetic, very fast, but, but there's a more nuanced approach to your book, I find. Thank you. I, it is very important, but I, it's not... It's not something I think is peculiar to my writing. I think it's something that is fairly specific to psychological thrillers as opposed to straightforward crime procedurals or um, action thrillers, techno thrillers. So psychological thrillers have much less focus on the who done it and much more focus on the why done it, mm. uh, on the relationships between people and the impact that a crime has or, or the fear of crime has on someone. So, uh, you know, I think I um, I slip into that psychological thriller genre that, that many, many people are writing now and, and many women in particular. And I, I write in that genre because I am far more interested 
in the emotional effect of, of incidents on people than just, you know, ha- who, who did it and how do we sign them. The book has just won a very prestigious award, the Fix and All Peculiar Crime Novel of the Year. How was that? You've been all over the, the news over the last couple of weeks because of the because of the victory. Just how sweet was it to accomplish such a magnificent feat? It was it was crazy. I um uh, I made the worst acceptance speech in the history of all time, um, having having been asked earlier that that day whether I'd written a, a speech, and uh, I just laughed and ordered another glass of prosecco and um, said no, that you know there's no point, there's no point in um, in writing anything because I'm up against such huge talent. I mean, there, there were five other names on the list, all of whom are um, extraordinary writers including you know real legends of, of crime such as Mark Billingham and and Robert Galbraith of course JK Rowling's pseudonym so it never for a second occurred to me that I'd be the one going up on stage so when I did I um well the first thing I did was burst into tears which slightly um spoiled my sort of sophisticated crime writer about town look that I I'd been hoping to cultivate and and I just sort of sobbed a, a few words of thanks. It was a massive shock, but what an amazing experience. I'm absolutely stoked. That's a, that's a very good word. So, I mean, it must be such a thrill. And, and to be Robert Galbraith, J.K. Rowling, and she sent you a very nice congr- uh, congratulations tweet. Was that, that must have been quite surreal to receive that. <laughs> it was. Well, I hadn't seen it uh, because my Twitter feed had gone absolutely bonkers. But what I had was just notification after notification as all of her, you know, thousands, millions of, of fans retweeted and, and liked. Um, and so my, my phone was just sort of, you know, vibrating constantly. Uh, but it, it, it was an amazing thing to see, very surreal. And I think it, um, it's probably the... The sort of the pinnacle of success as far as my children are concerned. Um, you know, never mind me writing books, getting published, getting awards, bestsellers, anything like that. The fact that J.K. Rowling tweeted me um, means that I've done all right by them. Yeah, that makes you the coolest mum in the world. Um, you wrote a very good article for The Garden a couple of years ago about writing writing, and about how your past work within the police had helped that. Do you think it's important for you as a writer to draw on your previous experiences police officers uncover truth they have to communicate very well they always have to look for for unknown angles do you think all that sort of thing helps you yeah i think there is a real um a similarity actually between being an investigator and being a writer of any genre because as an investigator, what you're doing is you're, uh, you're, you're recording other people's stories. You're taking witness statements. You're taking victim statements. You're interviewing suspects to get their account. And then you're writing up that account from all those different people, you know, the perspective of CCTV, of, uh, you know, passerby in the street. You're, you're gathering up all that evidence, all those stories, and presenting them to an audience, which in that case is, you know, a, a court, a judge, the CPS, a jury, uh, and of course, as a as a writer, you're you're you know you're doing the same thing. You're you're gradually teasing out the stories from all the characters involved, and putting them together in such a way that the audience, in this case a reader, can get to the truth of the story. So it feels 
like a very, very similar process. And of course, I, you know, have a bit of an advantage that I'm able to to write authentically about police settings and procedure and police relationships, which makes my research phase much easier than perhaps some other writers. Well, speaking of research, and this is a great time for you, you've got a new book coming out. Your second novel is coming out very, very shortly. I believe it's called I See You. Can you give us a little brief description of what this one's about? I can. I'm very excited about I See You. It's out, um, what do we know, 26, it's out 28, so a couple of days' time for, for me. Um, I See You starts with a woman who's coming home from work on the London Underground. She's flicking through a free London newspaper, and when she gets to the classifieds, she finds a photo that she's convinced is her in an advert in the back of the the paper, along with all the escort ads and chat lines and whatever. So she sets out to find out what it's doing there, despite the fact that her family uh, think it's, you know, it's a coincidence, she's got a doppelganger, something like that. Um, The story came about when I, uh, I was going to London with a friend of mine who's a commuter, And I don't commute. I'm a real country girl. And if I do go to London, it's with no real pattern to it. But she goes in every single day and she made me move on the platform to stand exactly where the doors to the train would open. And sure enough, you know, we stood there, the doors opened. We then I I followed her on this this journey and realised that she literally could do it blindfolded. She knew exactly which exit would open first. She knew exactly which escalator went slightly faster than the others. She would pick up a copy of the Evening Standard without even having to look at the stand because she, she it was almost sort of muscle memory. She'd cross the road at exactly the same point every single day at exactly the same time. And I realised that all around us, there are commuters in particular, but just people doing the same thing every day because we're such creatures of habit. We find routine very comforting. Uh, but of course, if we do the same thing every single day, then someone else can know that we do it. And if they know our routine, then uh, they can use it for um, nefarious purposes. So that's the subject of my next book. Sounds absolutely incredible, actually. I can't wait to read it. Claire, thank you so much for coming on today. For all the fans who want to get in touch, say hello, say they love the books and stuff, what's the best way of getting in touch? I know you're quite active on Twitter, but but, but not after 9pm. What's the best way of the fans <laughs> saying hello? I'm trying, it's my New Year's resolution not not to spend every evening on Twitter. So, uh, But I do still spend too much time on Twitter, where I'm at Claire McIntosh, but with a zero instead of an O in Tosh. Um, or uh, my website, clairemackintosh.com, um, or I chat on Facebook a lot to, um, uh, what am I there, Claire Mac writes. So, yeah, get in touch. I love to hear from people. Fantastic. Thanks again for coming on today. Absolute pleasure. Well, thank you so much to Claire for coming on our show. We really, really appreciate it. Now, while this is a literature special, many of the most powerful words in crime have actually been uttered on film and TV. On our website, crimeinvestigation.co.uk, we've got a lot of articles on that sort of thing, some really interesting stuff. So pay a visit for some more crime-based activity. Now, in a second, we'll be joined by Ben Biggs, who's the editor of Real Crime magazine, to continue the written theme, so to speak. But before then, here's a sample of some real crimes which have been turned into films. And let us know your favourites. Tweet us, Facebook us, what are the best crime films of all time? (laughs) 
Goodfellas portrayed the rise and fall of mob associate Henry Hill over a 35-year period. Widely regarded as one of the best films of all time, Goodfellas also inspired a generation not to immediately react when someone asks if they're funny. Changeling. Inspired by the 1928 Wineville Chicken Coop kidnapping and murder case in California, Changeling is a challenging and thought-provoking piece. Chopper. Mark Chopper Reed was a legendary criminal who wrote his autobiography while serving time. Eric Banner expertly portrays the violent and charismatic Reed. Legend. Everyone has an opinion on the craze. Tom Hardy played both brothers in this 2015 film. Black Mass. Johnny Depp's performance as Whitey Bulger was a return to form for the actor, who'd previously excelled in crime films including Donnie Brasco, From Hell and Public Enemies. Bonnie and Clyde. The original danger couple, Bonnie and Clyde, created havoc across the United States during the Great Depression. Hollywood legends Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway played the titular characters in this 1967 biopic. Welcome back to the Crime Investigation Podcast. We're joined now by the editor of Real Crime Magazine, Ben Biggs. Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Now, it's great to have you on. We're a big fan of your magazine here at Crime Investigation. For the listeners, can you just describe yourself a little bit, talk about your background in journalism and the world of crime? So I've, I've sort of segued into um, crime from science and technology and knowledge. I've always been... Uh, really interested in in crime in general anyway and um, the opportunity came up just over a year ago to move from the magazine I was on before which was a space magazine and on to real crime and I more or less jumped at the chance it was an internal move the name kind of gives it away you know the name of the magazine but can you describe real crime magazine what's the concept and the tone of the magazine So when the concept of real crime came about, must have been about 18 months ago, something like that. And it was a bit of a wild card for Imagine Imagine Publishing, really. I mean, the top brass just put forward this this idea of a glossy glossy coffee coffee table uh, type magazine, crime magazine, um, with really high uh, design and production values, something that doesn't exist on the market at all, where it will crime, where we get um, interviews, where we ha- put forward uh, stories of well-known, these, these fairy tales, serial killers and, and criminals, and, but we put, put um, a spin of our own. So we, we, we tell, tell a story that, that the readers might not know otherwise. And yeah, we, we launched in August last year, and uh, yeah, it's, it's really taken off. It's, it's taken everyone by surprise how successful it's been so far. A lot of our followers on Twitter and, and Facebook, they, they really love the magazine. They always tweet about it, which, which is nice to see. And the magazine itself, not to be a shill here, Ben, but it, it looks great. You know, it, Great magazine, great feeling, even great smell. It's got that classic magazine smell. One of the things people mm. like about the magazine is that it incorporates both well-known crimes and, and more obscure ones too. How do you find the balance in choosing what you're going to put in the magazine? Well, I mean, we like to uh, cover a broad, very broad range of world topics. So we've already got sort of uh, various uh, templated features. So we have the briefing section, which is the street gangs, and we've got a wealth of uh, material all over the world to draw upon to to fill that slot. And then we've got cold cases, the, the unsolved case. So that, I mean, again, they're... It's, it's surprising how many, once you start looking into it, how many unsolved cases and how 
interesting um, uh, each one, how how unique each un- unsolved case is that will fill that uh, that particular slot. So, I mean, um, outside of the, the templated features in the magazine, I mean, choosing one serial killer or criminal to the next or one subject to the next, it, it's, it, it's, they, they sort of fall into place once you start picking one. Um, it, they're like piece of, pieces of a puzzle. It, it really... Uh, it, it becomes obvious which one to put in next. I don't, I don't know if I've <laughs> I've explained that thoroughly enough, but um, um, it's a really intuitive process once once you uh, once you start putting putting each issue together. Obviously, really topical stuff is is good for the magazine. Um, so you, you can choose, for example, uh, the Pistorius case, which is big right now, um, and that'll make a good feature in the issue, or Anders Breivik. And you, you balance that out with uh, maybe more historical features, which, you, um, which we give an interesting angle on that. You mentioned Unsolved Mysteries, and there's one huge mystery regarding Real Crime magazine. One of our CI superfans is called Karen, and she's a big fan of your magazine too, and I think she's looking for issue one. Is it true that issue one of your magazine is impossible to find anywhere? Do you not? We've got one issue in the the office. We haven't even got any in stock downstairs. It's nuts. It is a rare beast. Um, Yeah, we've got one issue in our library. And I think um, um, there's one other floating around with my, uh, my boss, James. But yeah, I've I've lost my mind. Went home and and it's disappeared into a pile. It might be under my bed somewhere. But yeah, it's, it's a rare beast. Prince always better. If anyone can find Karen mm. a copy, hashtag find Karen Real Crime. We need to get her one because she's a big fan of both of our different organisations. Uh, you've got a big team who write some really interesting content, and they're based all over the world. How, firstly, how do you choose the people who write for Real Crime magazine? And secondly, what advice could you give to aspiring crime writers? Choosing, because we get a lot, uh, I get a hell of a lot of um, people sending me emails asking if, if they can write to the magazine. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's like getting any job writing for, for any, any publication. It's tough. There's a, there's a lot of competition. Um, so what that will pretty much boil down to is what their specialisation is, because I like a writer who has a, an, an expertise in a certain area and obviously the quality of their writing. One final question for you today. We really appreciate your time coming on the show. What is it about crime that fascinates people so much, that, that prompts so much debate? You know, we put on so many great shows, you have so many great articles and people just want more and more and more. Why crime and why the interest in it? So, yeah, I mean, I've asked myself this question non- multiple times over the last year, actually, and I think it really... It really comes to down to people, and pe- people are interested in people, and people who work on what they might perceive to be the the fringes of society uh, are that much more interesting. They they create these stories, which are unlike anything most people have experienced in their lives. And and it, the, I mean, the really interesting thing I find what really sells Real Crime magazine. We tend to have um, serial killers on the front of the mag and I, I don't know you, you might think you know one serial killer is is the same as the next one but each of them has a very unique mo they're they're, they're no two serial killers alike and they, they've each got really interesting stories and it just becomes really easy to to uh, write about them and to produce a feature about them 
that's really interesting to pick up and read. Fantastic. And last question for you. Where can people read the magazine and where can they find it? You're online, social media, give all your plugs you want. Yeah, so um, you can obviously pick it up in uh, newsagents um, and supermarkets. You can also go to www.imagineshop.co.uk and you can find it on the Imagine Publishing website. If you scroll down a little bit, you'll you'll find um, real crime there. You, You can pick up... Um, individual issues or you can subscribe via that you can get three issues your first three issues for one pound with your first subscription and also you can subscribe digitally so you can download download it to your ipad your iphone and and uh, read it from there fantastic thanks so much today thanks for coming on okay thank you very much cheers when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The literature doesn't end. Welcome back to the Crime Investigation Podcast. And we are delighted to be joined by Mel McGrath, the co-founder of Killer Women and a crime writer as well. Mel, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful to have you on. Killer Women, I mean, first of all, what an incredible name for an organisation, for a group. Talk about the foundations of that, please. Uh, Yeah, it was a fun name. Um, I founded it with uh, fellow crime writer Louise Miller uh, last year. And uh, there are now uh, 16 of us, all female crime writers, uh, ranging from full range of, of genres, from spy fiction to psychological suspense, and from sort of household names, people like um, Paula Hawkins, who wrote Girl on a Train, through to uh, debut authors. And originally the idea was just we'd get round my dining room table and have a natter and support one another we had a couple of meetings and realized that we had other skills that we wanted to uh, to to foreground and um, that we had an enthusiasm and energy for more than just sitting around nettering with a a bottle of wine Um, so um, we uh, gave gave birth to the idea of putting on a festival and also writing an anthology of short stories. Well, the latest installment of your festival is coming up on the 15th of October uh, 2016, of course, at the Shoreditch Town Hall, a, a wonderful venue in London. You've got some amazing names coming, Mark Billingham, Anne Cleves, Martina Cole, Val McDermott. Just talk to us about this event and, and, and how it's going to be. Oh, it's going to be very exciting. It's just a day, and um, it's if you've ever been to Shoreditch Town Hall, you'll know it's the most beautiful old Victorian building, but it also has a really intriguing crime past because it is in that building that the inquest on Jack the Ripper's last victim, Mary Kelly, was held. So we will be holding some of the events in that very same room. We've got an all-day programme of, uh, as you as you mentioned, a lot of really big names, Paula Hawkins, S.J. Watson, Kate Summerscale, who wrote Suspicions Mr. Witcher, and uh, the names that you've already mentioned, along with the 16 of us, and we, uh, we're having coppers and forensic scientists. Um, we're talking about, we ta- we'll be taking people through how uh, we've got one detective who caught a serial killer and we'll be taking um, 
the audience through how he actually went about the process of doing that. We've got screenings. Um, we've got a screening about um, of a documentary, fascinating documentary about uh, Sweden's only serial killer. We've also, um, with uh, the filmmaker and a forensic psychiatrist, talking about what makes a serial killer. We've also got um, a documentary made in Broadmoor. Again, we'll be talking about um, uh, the, the criminal mind. Uh, we're having all-day workshops, so some of our um, some of the very big names in in crime writing people are Erin Kelly, who runs Guardian Masterclasses. We'll be taking um, uh, people like Rachel Abbott, who's a multi-multi best-selling author. Will be telling you how to write a bestseller and self-publish a bestseller. Erin um, will be telling um, you how to create uh, suspense. So there's going to be, I think there's about eight, eight or nine workshops throughout the day. There are these fabulous events. There's going to be killer women cocktails. There's going to be, we're going to have a murder mystery, a live murder mystery that will be written especially for the event. So, um, yeah, it's going to be fun and games. Um, Shoreditch Town Hall, October the 15th. Um, you can buy tickets now uh, from our website, which is www.killerwomen.org. Um, and that will take you through the links to the to the festival website. Yeah, I know tickets are selling fast, so anybody who wants to go should try and snap one up. These killer cocktails, I mean, what are they like? Have you, have you tried any of these yet? Oh, yes, there's been plenty of sampling among the killer women, I can tell you. And um, I'm, I'm pleased to say that uh, we, we've... Um, We've now hit perfection. I'm not going to tell you what the recipe is because it's a secret killer, killer, killer women cocktail. But we've had to do lots and lots of experimenting. Of course, if there was ever more of an incentive to go, apart from all those great things you've got on, people need to try this cocktail. Women within the world of crime at the moment, Mel, are dominating the, the, the crime book scene. You know, all these bestsellers, it's a fantastic thing to see. But perhaps not getting as much attention in the mainstream as perhaps they deserve. Why do you think this is? Uh, Long, it's an ongoing issue, uh, not just in the crime fiction genre, but in in general, in literature in general. And um, you know, it's it's ironic because the best-selling crime writer, indeed the best-selling writer of all time, um, other than Shakespeare in the Bible, is um, of course a woman, Agatha Christie. And uh, women have been very predominant in the genre for you know a century. Uh, people like Patricia Highsmith, Ruth Rendell, P.D. James, and so on, but often don't get. Um, the the awards or the recognition or the kind of household name status that that um, some of the men do. Um, there was a, a survey done by uh, an organisation similar to ours in the states called Sisters in Crime that um, a very well known crime writer Sarah Peretsky set up, and they did a survey of all the um, uh, prizes in crime fiction that were available in crime fiction, and they found out that. The more prestigious the prize, um, the less likely a woman was to win it. And I think that's also partly reflected, you know, that was partly why the Orange Prize, or the Bailey's Prize, as it's now called, was created for um, uh, women writers in literary, in literary fiction. Um, and it's, you know, it's ironic because most crime writing is now, I think most crime books are now written by women, and certainly in the psychological fi- uh, crime fiction field. Um, and most most crime books are, are what uh, are read by women. I think it's about 
65%, something like that. Now, you're a writer yourself, of course, and you've got a new book coming out quite soon, right? What's it about? Uh, well, I've just submitted it, so it's not coming out um, It's not coming out till next year, but it's called Give Me the Child, and it is a psychological thriller set in London, set during the uh, time of uh, well, a, a, a fictionalised London riots, but it's about um, a, uh, a family, what happens in a family when a child who is the love child of the husband is delivered onto the doorstep um, in the middle of the night one night. And not all is what it seems to be, you know, I'll just say that. While people are waiting for that one next year, what other work of yours would you recommend people who, if they want to get like an impression of, of your current work? Actually, I just finished a trilogy, which is rather different. Um, and that was uh, a trilogy set in the Arctic, and they're called the Edie Kigler Took Mysteries. I'm, I'm very interested in, you know, women characters and women driving the action. So uh, that, that is, but that's more of, of a procedural series, and it's set in the Arctic, and the protagonist is a half-Inuit, half-Caucasian ex-hunter called Edie Kigler Took. And uh, they're, excitingly, they're being developed for American TV at the moment, so fingers crossed... Um, but I thought I would come back home and write something a bit closer to home set in London. It almost sounds like the new Game of Thrones you, you've created here. <laughs> uh, well, gosh, if I was, I was, I was as tense as successful as that, I would, um, yeah, let's hope, let's hope. Our last question, we're asking all the people on the show today this question because uh, obviously it's a crime literature special. For you, as somebody who's, who's written about all sorts of different things and experienced lots of different things, why is there such a huge public interest in crime, in reading about it and watching about it. From, from your perspective, why are people so interested? Um, well, I think all kinds of very good reasons. Um, I think the, the genre allows people to explore and express very extreme emotions. You know, it, it is quite, it's a genre that's quite literally about life and death and everything that that encompasses, you know, fear, terror... Um, disquiet, a feeling that things are not all that they should be, a feeling of lack of not being safe. So those are those are very jealousy, passion. Those are very very extreme emotions that um, I think that the genre uh, is second to none in exploring. Um, but there's also it's also a genre that uh, um, allows you to explore society and life as it is now because it sort of encompasses everything it's a genre that normally it's about crime but crime is very very often about human relations absolutely mel thank you so much for coming on the show today and hopefully we'll see you on the 15th of october at the shortage town hall it's it's a pleasure and uh, yes do do come along and find out all about our killer women cocktail (laughs) thanks so much thank you so much Well, that concludes this edition of the Crime Investigation Podcast, and thank you to all of you who have listened to the end. If you have any thoughts or views on the show, you can hit us up on Twitter at CI or Facebook at CI UK. We've got listeners literally from all over the world, from Finland to Kenya, Austria to Australia. So get in touch and let us know where you're listening from too. It'd be great for us to know. You can also show your love by rating and reviewing us on iTunes. Five stars would be great. Don't get me wrong, but be honest, as long as it's five stars. But for now, the Crime Investigation Podcast is over. Until next time, stay curious. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.